Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's now turn to 2 Samuel chapter 13. 2 Samuel 13. be reading verses 1 through 19. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. Now it was after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Amnon was so frustrated because of his sister Tamar that he made himself ill, for she was a virgin, and it seemed hard to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, and Jonadab was a very shrewd man. He said to him, O son of the king, why are you so depressed morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Then Amnon said to him, I am in love with Tamar, the sister of my brother Absalom. Jonadab then said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. When your father comes to see you, say to him, Please, let my sister Tamar come and give me some food to eat, and let her prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please, let my sister Tamar come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent to the house For Tamar, saying, Go now to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and he was lying down, and she took dough, kneaded it, made cakes in his sight, and baked the cakes. She took the pan and dished them out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, Have everyone go out from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat from your hand. So Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them into the bedroom to her brother Amnon. When she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. But she answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. As for me, where could I get rid of my reproach? And as for you, you will be like one of the fools in Israel." Now therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. However, he would not listen to her, since he was stronger than she. He violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred, for the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up, go away. But she said to him, No, because this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you have done to me. Yet he would not listen to her. Then he called his young men who attended him and said, Now throw this woman out of my presence and lock the door behind her. Now she had on a long-sleeved garment, for in this manner the virgin daughters of the king dressed themselves in robes. Then his attendant took her out and locked the door behind her. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her long-sleeved garment which was on her. And she put her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to 
Let's pray. Father, we pray as we look at this passage that you would give us wisdom, that you would, you would warn us and rebuke us and train us in righteousness that we may be adequate equipped for every good work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. So the string of very difficult stories, difficult histories continues in the book of 2 Samuel. We've gone from adultery and murder and now into incest and rape. A little bit of review here in verse in chapter 12 verses 26 to 31 which we didn't get to last time, but um, a few times ago we, we did mention that 26 through 31 of chapter 12 is, is finishing what started back in, ver, in chapter 11. Remember, then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with them and they went out to destroy the sons of Ammon and besiege Rabbah, and so that war and how that ends picks up in 26 through 31 and concludes that, um, that history. And we also, we also remember the prophecy of Nathan. Nathan the prophet had come to the, to the king, King David, had uh, rebuked him uh, through the use of that parable, but then also had announced what was going to come to pass in the house of David. And in verse 10 of chapter 12, he says, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. And then going on, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives from before your eyes and give them to your companion. He will lie with your wives in broad daylight. So all of this is being prophesied. It's being told to David. It's a consequence of his sin. And now chapter 13 begins the outworking of those prophecies. This is the discipline of King David as we read these. Remember we talked about how um, <clears throat> how sins have consequences. Sins may be forgiven, and yet God may continue to discipline us for those particular sins. Right? So there are ongoing consequences, and we see now that, that the sin within David's household is, uh, is like leaven. Right? Leaven that leavens the whole lump. We see the sin uh, taking place in his house. And so now, so remember that context, and we turn now to Amnon, David's son, and he loves his half, he's, he's given his heart over to uh, loving, it says, but I think it all boils down to lusting for his half-sister Tamar, so same father, different mother. Now this is, you know, like father, like son... Um, desires that are intense, and when you give yourself over to desires and thinking on those things, they move to action. 
right? Desires give birth to actions. What, and so, so we know that Amnon has given himself over to uh, these affections, these feelings, whatever they may be, right? And so he's so frustrated because he, he's aware that this is wrong. He's aware this is wrong. He's frustrated. He knows it's not right. He makes himself ill. And it says, for she was a virgin. Right? And, and again, that's a testimony to the, the goodness of David's household. He had protected his daughters. That we know of. At least he had protected Tamar. And she was unblemished. Uh, she had given herself to purity. She was a virgin. She was waiting to be married to, to a man. And, and so right after that it says, and it seemed hard to Amnon to do anything to her. Which is a terrible phrase, isn't it? It seemed wrong for him to do anything to her. And so we get, um, we get a sense that this is, there is not clearly not love here. This is, this is him objectifying Tamar and seeing her as an object of gratifying his lusts. And objectifying anyone or anything like that can lead to terrible wickedness. What should he have done? He should have said no to himself. The minute the thought came into his head, he should have said no, forbidden. No, wicked to even have the thought. Wicked to contemplate these things. No, no, no. No, no, no. Distract yourself with no's, right? I hope I, I talked to the, the, the older children on this past Wednesday about that inner dialogue. You should always be talking to yourself, right? You should be weird in that. Always be. There should always be an inner dialogue going on, and it should mostly be no's. There are times when it should, you should push yourself toward the good, obviously. But your heart is deceptive. It's wicked. It needs to, it needs to be here. No. No, you may not think that thought. Stop. And then what do you do? You, you find a replacement thought. You find something to input that takes your mind off of that. You go to the Word of God and you fill it with what is good and right and true and beautiful of a good report. And so, uh, Calvin says of Amnon here, he should have quickly come to himself and considered how grossly immoral that act was against nature, and even in the eyes of men, such a disgrace that he should immediately have ceased from it. So Calvin's like, this is so despicable, even nature tells him this is wrong. He doesn't need, any, he doesn't need Scripture bringing conviction here. All he needs is nature to tell him, that uh, this is wrong. And, and, then it, and Calvin says, and it's wrong in the eyes of men. Right? What does Scripture say about incest? You, you, think of, um, you think of the man caught in incest in uh, 1 Corinthians. right? And, and it speaks of it as that which you know, even pagans don't participate in. And so... One of the things that comes out of this in Amnon's frustration and him thinking long about his sister Tamar is we must always remind ourselves of the sinfulness of sin. 
right? Doesn't that seem stupid? We have to remind ourselves of the sinfulness of sin. How do we do that? I mean, sin is terrible because God is holy and God says that He hates it. And so we become really soft toward our sin. We, we cuddle up with it. And we think it's not so bad. Right? I can give myself to this. I can give myself to a little bit of anger. I can give myself to a little bit of shouting in my house. You know, I can do those things. And, and, um, and, yet, and yet we know from Scripture that to be anger, angry toward our brother is to commit murder. Right? So the Sermon on the Mount is one of those examples of how we're reminded of the sinfulness of sin, just how deeply sinful sin is. Saying you fool to somebody and murdering in our hearts. Right? So um, we have to continually go back to God's law and go back to God's character. And God's law is a reflection of God's character. And so we go back to God's character to remind ourselves of the sinfulness of sin how unlike God we are. And then we we have to fight thoughts and desires. It's not good enough for us to just inhibit actions. Right? Desires and thoughts give birth to actions, and if you don't kill the desires and thoughts, they will give birth to actions. Right? Today in the church, we give a pass to desires. Right? The, the gay celibate Christian movement is proof of the fact that we have conceded desires to, the, uh, to a sort of not, uh, not sinful level, level of, um, of living. And that's, uh, if we haven't learned that from chapter 11, 12, and 13 of 2 Samuel, then we're fools. Uh, we must fought, fight our thoughts and desires. Calvin says, when we are prevented from doing the evil that we have conceived, it's no indication of virtue. Instead, we must give our hearts to God so that we valiantly fight on until our wicked passions are mortified. Right? Valiantly fight on. So not giving yourself to some action is not proof of virtue. Right? But it is actually mortifying the desires, killing the desires that actually lead to that action. Okay, so Tamar was a virgin. Her honor had been protected by in her father's household. And yet Amnon and Absalom will prove that the sons had been undisciplined. Uh, there, is, there is terrible sin in this household as there is in all of our homes, right? But yet, it had been a context in which Tamar had been protected. And praise God for that. This makes me think, um, this may be a, a strange application, but I think it's worth bringing up at this point, that we often think that tight-knit families are are rightly working to protect their children from the influence of the world, right? Tightly knit, I don't send my kids to public school, I keep them homeschooled, and we're very tightly knit, and we put up walls, and we, we keep the world out, and we want to remain unstained from the world. 
And there's a naivete to that, which is this. Um, your children and yourself have wicked hearts. And you don't need anything from outside to come in and corrupt your household. The corruption can come right from within those walls you've built up. And that's hard for some homeschool moms to accept. But I've seen it time and time again where households have been corrupted by one child in that household sinning against his own or her own siblings, right? Corruption does not find a way in from the outside, um, but often it comes from within the household. And so that's why we have to shepherd our children's hearts. That's why we have to... Um, it's not just a matter of keeping them from the world or the world from them, but actually shepherding their uh, souls. Um, even homeschooling moms can corrupt their children. Because of their own wicked heart. And so here's Amnon in this household, and he becomes the source of corruption. He becomes the source of corruption. And along comes the cousin. I don't think cousins have ever in the history of the world pushed people toward the good. Cousins are trouble. Doesn't it seem like cousins are trouble? I don't know. This cousin, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, just, just an observation. Um, take it or leave it. Uh, Jonadab. Um, good friend of Amnon, cousin of Amnon, um, but, but he's a bad friend, right? He stands in for the bad friend. He's a wicked counselor. It says of him that he's shrewd. And shrewd can be a good thing. Prudence can be a good thing. It's commended in Scripture. But this is shrewd in worldliness. This is shrewd in, in scheming evil. You don't want to be good at scheming plans toward the evil. Um, what kind of friends, counselors, does Scripture teach you to have? De it definitely doesn't commend the example of Jonadab here. Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. So, friends should wound you. Amnon needed to be wounded. He needed to be told, Dude, you are sick. And this is evil. And your, your sister, though beautiful, she is not yours and she is to be protected by you. You are to give yourself to protecting her purity. But he's not. He's not that kind of friend. He doesn't want to wound. He wants to flatter. He wants to always affirm. No matter what the other man says, a bad friend will just affirm them in their direction. And so, um, your friendship should be cemented by piety. That's what Augustine said. Friendships should be cemented. They should be held together by the pursuit of what is pious, of what is good. Right? Push, it should push, to, your friends should push you toward godliness. Right? So often though, our friendships are based upon 
just mutually enjoyed wickedness. And apparently Amnon and Jonadab had that kind of friendship, had that kind of relationship with one another. And so be careful with whom you take counsel. And be careful what kind of counsel you give. Are you a good friend? Are you the kind of friends that are you the kind of friend that will wound a friend because you care for his soul? You know, he who turns a man from his sin saves his soul. It says at the end of James. Isn't that the last phrase of James? I believe so. And so, um, are you a faithful friend? But Jonadab is not being a faithful plan. He hatches these evil plans. He says, he asks the king, right? He's inquiring, he's, he's showing some sort of sympathy, I guess. Oh, son of the king, why are you so depressed morning and after morning? Will you not tell me? And then Amnon said to him, I am in love with Tamar, the sister of my brother Absalom. And his jaw should have hit the floor. He should have been disgusted. He should have gotten out his copy of his, his pocket Bible, his pocket scroll, started reading, reading the Scriptures, reminding him of the law, going to Leviticus where it talks about incest and the relations that are forbidden to man. But instead, Jonadab does this. He said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. When your father comes to see you, say to him, please let my sister Tamar come and give me some food to eat and let her prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, please let my sister Tamar come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. David is not clued into what's going on here. I'm not sure what to think about that. I'm not sure what to think. Is he, is he failing to protect Tamar and her purity? Does he have any idea of the, the plans that are hatched here? Well, if knowing his own heart, he should have stopped and given it some, some, some contemplation. And maybe inquired. And maybe asked a few questions that would be weird for a father to ask a son. But he doesn't, and he commands, uh, he says, go now to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So he commands Tamar to go down to Amnon's house. So Tamar went out to her brother Amnon's house, and he was lying down, and she took dough, kneaded it, made cakes in his sight, and baked the cakes. She took the pan and dished them out before him, but he refused to eat. Right, so now things are getting strange. She's come, she's, she's, she's been requested to bring him food and to make him food, and he refuses to eat. And then his wickedness, he gives himself fully over to his wickedness. And Amnon said, have everyone go out from me. Clear the room. So everyone went out from him. And then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat from your hand. And that's strange. So Tamar took the cakes which she had and brought them into the bedroom to her brother Amnon. And when she brought them in to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come lie with me, my sister. Okay, now he's fully given birth to his wicked plans. 
But she answered him, No, my brother. Now listen to what she says. She says, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. Right? So she knows the law of God. She's been taught the law of God. This is a disgraceful thing. This is unlawful. This is sin. You cannot do this. As for me, where could I get rid of my reproach? Now she's thinking of her, uh, her, her purity, which has been an honor to her, right? which has been protected by her. And she knows that if she is corrupted, she will um, receive the reproach of the people. And as for you, you will be like one of the fools in Israel. Right? You're going to be like one of the despicable scoundrels of Israel. Those who do not love the law of God and practice unrighteousness. Now therefore, then this. Now therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. Now what is going on there? Marriage. Therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. Now, why do you think she, she takes that route? <clears throat> um, is she naive, right? Does she not fully understand the law? Is she um, misunderstanding the, the, the rules of consanguinity, right? The, the closeness with which you can be married. Does she think that maybe half-brothers and half-sisters can be married? Or... Here's what I think's going on. She's trying to get out of the room. She's just trying to get away from Amnon. And she's willing to throw anything out to this fool to make him stop. She is scheming in a good way. Um, she is grasping at straws, so to speak, to, to protect herself. Please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. I mean, no. No, um, he would withhold her, but it would at least get him, get her out of the room. But what comes out of this is, is um, <laughs> know God's law, right? It's going to be helpful in situations when, when you don't know what's right or if you're in a, in a, in a predicament, if you've got yourself into a situation. Law, the law of God should be burning in your mind as to what is right and what is wrong. And, um, <clears throat> and yet we can also find more sin in what we think is a solution to another sin, right? We can also go the wrong way and heap sin upon sin. And yet here she is being shrewd. She's being shrewd, not like Jonadab in wickedness, but she's being shrewd to remove herself from the situation. And um, so, so it, it, um, it does not work. It does not work upon Amnon. He, is, he um, forcefully takes her since it says he was stronger than she. And he violated her and lay with her. And so we've gone, we've gone from him pining in a bed by himself with Tamar far away to him having violated her. And now he hates her. He 
He goes from lust to hate. He goes from Tamar being the object of and, and the focus of every one of his thoughts to being completely disgusted by her. And so the object of his desire has become a reminder of his wickedness. That's part of this. The object of his desire and what he has done has now become a reminder of, of his wickedness. And so to have her in his sight is convicting. And the wicked and, and he doesn't want to be convicted. He had objectified Tamar. He did not love her, remember. It says that he loved her. That's a stand-in for the lust that he had for her. He had objectified Tamar. He did not love her. He lusted for her. And when his lust was fulfilled, then there was, no, then there was nothing there. Right? No more concern, no more attraction, no more desire. It was just hatred of her. Why do you think, I mean, what, what other reasons can you think of that he would go so quickly from, from this, this uh, what he would term affection to, to hatred? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's partially that. If he had any conscience, it would be that, right? It would be a realization that, that he had done wrong and he doesn't want to be uh, remember. He does not want that in his face, which is, which is terrible. This whole situation is terrible, right? He has committed great sin against his sister. And then... When she is broken, when she is ashamed, when, she, when the reproach has fallen upon her and she's lamenting, he's just like, get out of my face. Right? And he heaps sin upon sin. There is no repentance. There is no... Um, there is, there's just a, a, a disgust that's left behind. Tamar laments... After this, and it says that um, she said to him, no, because this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you have done to me, yet he would not listen to her, right? This, this wrong in, in getting her out of his presence. And then he called his young men who attended him, right? He's still recalcitrant. He's still hard. He says, get Get her out of here. Throw her out of my presence. Now throw this woman out of my presence. Lock the door behind her. And then it says, Now she had on the long-sleeved garment, for in this manner the virgin daughters of the king dressed themselves in robes. Then his attendant took her out and locked the door behind her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her long-sleeved garment which was on her. And she put her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. Right? It's, it's interesting that the, the garment that she was wearing was, was uh, like a uniform. Right? It showed her status, which was as a virgin. Those particular garments that she was wearing was, that, was showing that she was a woman of purity. And that's what she tears as she leaves. She's been corrupted been corrupted by her brother. She is no longer 
uh, pure. Though a victim, she is no longer pure because of the wicked wickedness that her brother brought upon her. <clears throat> it's, it's interesting today that <clears throat> in our culture that there, there, there just isn't a concept of purity at all. There isn't a concept of, of protecting the purity. The only thing that's lamented today in our culture is that if you're inexperienced, and naive, right? They're, the only lament is, today is if you remain pure, um, which is terrible. That you think of the, the 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 pain and the suffering that young men and young women go through when they throw their purity away in a moment and corrupt themselves, and yet that's celebrated, right? Only thing that's lamented today is remaining pure. Um, <clears throat> so what does this teach us? One of the things it teaches us, one of the things I thought about is wait to have desires in context. These desires that, that Amnon has, separated from his half-sister, right, are not in themselves wicked. Right? I mean, they are in relation to his half-sister, obviously, but um, the desire to be with a woman or to be with a man is given to us by God, but he also gives it a context within which it can be exercised, right? in which you're, you, you are not being impure. And so, wait to have desires in the context that honors God. Love and sexual desire... We're not forbidden to Amnon, right? But he should have married according to God's law. Um, there's a right use of God's gifts, and they are all the sweeter when we have not given ourselves to them outside of the proper context. They're all the sweeter. Um, Tamar is a victim. Amnon represents passion without love. Jonadab equals wisdom without principle. Right? Shrewdness in a worldly sense, but shrewdness not according to Scripture. So loveless passion leads to sin. Passion not governed by true Christian love, where you're looking out for the best of the other person, right? So loveless passion leads to sin. Love should discipline our passion. That's what love should do. True love, if you're a young man, true love toward a woman, though you may have attraction to her, love would say, her purity is my goal. It is a lovely thing. It is good in the sight of God, and I will do everything I can to protect it and to honor it, and then to um, move toward the proper context for uh, the relationship. Um, shrewdness can be worldly wise, but principle disciplines, disciplines wisdom, right? Wisdom, you don't want to be worldly wise. You don't want to be 
um, sophisticated and prudent and shrewd when it comes to how the world does things. But if you have the principles of the Word of God, that disciplines your wisdom. That disciplines your actions and your wisdom. Our natural talents or our natural temperaments or our natural emotions must be bounded by God's context. They have to be bounded by God's commands. Right? You may naturally be talented at things. You may be naturally um, temp- have a temperament that goes one way or the other um, in certain directions. You may be, have uh, given towards certain emotions. Right? Who's not? We all have, whether it's depressive or it's angry or it's melancholy or it's goofy. Um, and we... But, but all, of, all of those natural things need to be disciplined by the principles of the Word of God. God changes things, doesn't He? God changes things and makes all things new. And so what you naturally feel and what you naturally are given to is not inevitable. It's just not inevitable. God changes us and makes us conform to the image of His Son. The new man, the new man has the Spirit within him. So then, brethren, we are not under obligation. We are under obligation. I always read that wrong. So, brethren, we are under obligation not to what? The flesh. To live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. Right? And so we're not under obligation to live according to the flesh. If Amnon had the Spirit within him, he would not have been under obligation to follow the lusts of his flesh. But he truly could have said no. He truly had the power, would have had the power of the Spirit to walk away from this wickedness. And just to, all it would have, this story would have ended with him rebuking himself. Him being disgusted at himself. Him walking away from the situation and, and shaking his head that, that he would conceive of such a plan. And that is possible with the Spirit of God. We can say no to our temptations. We can say no to those things that so quickly flare up our lusts, our anger, our our self-pity. We can say no to those things by the power of the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to meditate upon this passage. And that by the power of the Spirit, you would give us an ability to be circumspect, to stop and think through what the end of our desires would be. And where they lead to wickedness, that we would we would throw up a roadblock 
that you would give us this power by your Spirit to say no. And Father, more and more I pray that as we are sanctified, we would long for what is right, and our desires would simply lead toward that which is good and not toward that which is evil. I pray that we would not become... I pray that we would not forget the need of discipline. Amnon, it appears, was a son who went without discipline and gave himself over to what he felt. And so I pray that we would not have sons and daughters who, have, who because of our, their parents' lack of discipline, have no self-control. So Lord, help us to do this work. Help us to help our children. And Father, help us to be an example of this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.